And there ends the reading, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. I felt it important to read the entire chapter, and I would encourage any of our sermon audio listeners who have not read chapter 9 to do so at this time. We have this remarkable story of the man born blind. Let me begin by referring to a magazine story that was reported some years ago that absolutely shocked everyone who read it. It was a story about a a little boy who lived in some country, I don't remember where, in South America. The boy's mother had rushed him to a hospital for very acute stomach pains. And the next day, she came back to see how he was doing, and she found her son barely alive with very thick bandages over his eyes. And she immediately realized something was terribly wrong. She took him out of that hospital took him to another doctor who examined him and explained to his dumbstruck mother that the other hospital had stolen the little boy's eyes. You see, friends, in many parts of the world, the trafficking in human organs is big business. Uh, And we know, we we hear stories about other countries where people are intentionally detained, uh, killed, their organs harvested for profit. That's one example of it. The little boy in that story had his sight stolen from him. That's unlike the man in this story in John chapter 9, who was born without the ability to see. Now, in case you had not noticed, this issue of blindness and light and sight, that is a constant theme in the Gospels, in the four kingdom message Gospels. Images of theme and themes of light and darkness and blindness and sight are used to communicate spiritual truths about our human condition and also regarding the mercy and grace of God. We are being taught that light brings sight to those who are blind spiritually, but it also casts a shadow of judgment on those who refuse the light and continue to walk in darkness. Now, within this long chapter, these many verses... I believe there are at least four major points that we need to understand this morning, and so I'm going to share them with you now in the title of this message, Blind as a Bat. The first thing we see here is that we, ourselves, are like this man who was born blind. Paul writes in Romans 121, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. That is our condition at birth, friends. Now, this man, born blind, was literally without the ability to see with his eyes. But he serves as an example for all of us who are born naturally without the ability to see the truth of God in our lives and in this world. Now, the question posed here by the disciples in verse 2 is, frankly, one of great significance. Look again at what they ask, Rabbi, meaning Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, there's a reason for that question, not just simple curiosity, because in that day, the Jews believed that all physical affliction was the result of some sin. And the Pharisees had developed a number of theories about how that could be so and how it happened. For example, they taught if either of the two parents of a child sinned, then that child might well be born blind or lame. And further along, some of them began to teach that it was possible for a child to sin even in his mother's womb. Now, unbeknownst to a lot of people, there were also strands of mystical Jewish teaching back in those days that that a man might be born 
lame or blind because of sins he had committed in a previous lifetime. You say, well, wait a minute, you've got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding you. There were indeed some Jews who believed in reincarnation and what we have come to call karma. The idea was that if you were sinful in one life, and when you died, you'd be reincarnated in another life, and you would have to pay the penalty for all your bad actions in the previous lifetime. Now, of course, in our own day, we have the modern New Age movement that teaches things like that, and they largely borrowed those ideas from Hinduism and Buddhism and other pagan religions. However, at the other end of that spectrum, we also have some people who claim to be charismatic or evangelical, and they teach that all sickness and disease is a result of either sin in your life or because you lack faith to be delivered from it. We see here that Jesus tells us something entirely different. Sickness and disease are the broad and general results of living in a fallen world. Now, it may be that if we do commit some sin, we might very well get sick from it. And the world is full of people who have had to reap the consequences of an obviously sinful lifestyle, whether that be related to drugs or sex or anything else. I'll never forget one of the first situations that I had to minister in as a newly ordained pastor some years ago involved a young man, I think he was in his early 30s, who was dying of AIDS. Now this, as I said, was some years ago. I won't go into all the details of where that was and when and all that, but I, that man told me straight out, listen, I know why I'm sick, because I was involved in homosexual activity. So there's a, a, a one example, whether it be that or drugs or anything else. But my friends, the Word of God does not teach us that each and every case of human individual suffering is directly related to a particular sin in that person's life. And the answer of Jesus is right to the point there in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned to cause his blindness. He was born blind for no other reason than this. In the all-wise providence and predetermined counsel of God Almighty, that is the way he was born. Period. End discussion. End of discussion, that is, as far as the reason for the man's blindness. What we learn here is that the same all-embracing providence also had something else in mind for that man besides being born blind. Jesus heals the man, but just look at how he does it. He spits on the ground, and he makes sort of a Play-Doh-like clay, and he puts it over the guy's eyes. Now, why he did it that way, we don't really know for sure. It may have been to emphasize even more strongly that man's utter inability to see anything. But notice, that is not what healed the man. No, he had to do something. He had to obey the word of the Lord. Jesus gave him a command, and he had to obey it. He had to go and wash his face off in the pool of Siloam. He obeyed, and he was healed. And I ask you to consider, is that man not only truly representative of us and our spiritual blindness before we became saved? Isn't that the case? That man was blind as a bat. He was a beggar. He was asking for alms. He no more cared anything about Jesus than he did about anything else. He certainly was not asking to be healed. But in this wonderful and, and uh, powerfully symbolic image, we see that the Lord comes to him even when he's not asking him to, and he gives him deliverance. That man was healed by God's initiative, not by his own. The second thing we see here is that the blind man is a model for us in showing the way of salvation and turning from darkness to light. 
And you can see uh, by comparing the verses in this chapter, 11, verses 11, verse 17, 30, 33, and 38, how that man progressively came to understand who Jesus was and what had happened to him. He first hears Jesus, and then he classifies him or calls him a great prophet. And then he gives him all the credit for opening his eyes. And next he confesses that he must be from God. And then he exclaims, Lord, I believe. And he falls down before Jesus and worships him. That man not only is a model for us about the sovereignty of God in salvation, but also of our responsibility of confessing Christ and obeying his commandments. See, one thing that all Christians share is that we all are led by the Lord's providential hand and in his time and in his way, if we are ordained to salvation, we come to faith in Christ. So we can rest assured that if God has his hand on any person, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter if it's your unsaved children, your unsaved spouse, your neighbor, parents, whoever, they will in his time come to Jesus and find the truth. But the man born blind also shows us that we must, sooner or later, stop the journeying in search of the truth and obey the Lord's word. Thirdly, the man born blind also teaches us a lesson about consequences. Now, it was a natural enough thing that this man, after it was discovered that he had been healed, that he should be taken to the religious leaders. So those people were not at all opposed to the idea that God might heal a man, but when the blind man's family and the Jews found out that he had been involved with Jesus, well, now that changed the whole picture. Notice what the Pharisees ask him there in verse 17. What do you say about this man who opened your eyes? Well, immediately you see the man born blind, he's got to choose sides. There's no neutral position for him. And my friends, that is symbolic or applicable to us too. There is no neutral position for you or me either. You are either for Jesus or against him. You either follow his law word or you don't. Now look at verse 16. It says that some of the Pharisees condemned Jesus because according to their traditions, he had violated the Sabbath. But there were others among them who realized there was something more here than just legal nitpicking. I mean, a man born blind has been healed. When the blind man called Jesus a prophet, they decided to bring the man's parents into this discussion. Now, you would think that this man's parents would have been overjoyed that their son now has his sight. And if that had been all there was to the story, they probably would have been much more enthusiastic than we see them portrayed here. But that was not the whole story, was it? There was something else that made them halt, that made them step away, step back from their son. He had been with Jesus. He's calling him a prophet. And just look at their reaction when the Pharisees questioned them uh, in verses 20 and 21. I'm reading this from a different translation. His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can now see. We don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And then in verse 22, it makes it very clear why they answered that way. They knew that if their son was now a follower of Jesus, that might get them thrown out of the synagogue. That would get them marginalized, shunned by the community. So they might as well have just as wished that his, their son had never been healed, that he was still blind as a bat rather than have him healed by Jesus and now become one of his followers. Isn't that amazing? Listen, friends, when we become disciples of Jesus, 
Our entire outlook, our life changes. And our behavior, our language, all of that changes. And that can be a rebuke to others around you, whether they be friends, families, or whoever else. Because the message of the kingdom, while it truly is a message of love and forgiveness, it is nonetheless a cause of division in this world. I mean, Jesus had already warned and given uh, fair notice of that as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 34 to 36, reading from the New King James Version. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, or that is conflict. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. So when you become a Christian, you are entering a war that began at the dawn of human history. And you had better be ready to deal with the combat that is sure to come your way. For the man born blind, there was no way for him to explain what had happened in his life that would have been pleasing to the ears of those who hated Jesus. And so too for us, my friends, when we become citizens of Christ's kingdom, those who hate the light, well, they might not accept at all any of what we have become. They may question us. They may debate with us. They may argue with us about the truth of the Christian faith and Holy Scripture. And in the end, we just might have to settle for the same testimony for ourselves as that of this man born blind. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. See, that kind of defense of our faith in Christ that might not be enough to convince an atheist, but I can assure you it is all that God Almighty needs as a witness to the right person at the right time. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then fourthly and finally, we see that following Jesus is a cause of great division. Now, we, we've already stated that. Let's just make it a formal point. I want you to note very well the words of Jesus himself in verse 39, and I'm going to read this from two different translations. First of all, the New King James Version, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. A different translation, I entered into this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. That's a little more comprehensible, I think. Now, I said a moment ago, when we begin to follow Jesus, it will inevitably set us apart from those who do not. And Jesus, in these words in verse 39, tells us why. Because we have begun to see the world, while those who do not follow him, though they believe they can see it, they are blind. See, the Pharisees thought they had all spiritual insight and, and wisdom, and their pride blinded them to the very thing they claimed to believe so strongly. And this takes us once more right back to the beginning of John's Gospel, as we have done many, many other times. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just in, in verse 9 of chapter 1, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so the beginning of the Gospel, we're told about this need for light and about being able to see the glory of God the Father, but that some prefer to be blind. And it's worth also considering, in light of what we have just read, in John three seventeen, we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But now, wait a minute. Didn't we just read Jesus say that he came into the world for judgment, to render judgment? 
to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they can see that they are blind? What in the world is, what do you make of this? Judgment on the one hand, uh, not coming in to condemn the world on the other. Well, yes, Jesus did come into this world to save sinners. He came to save a very definite group of people whose number is beyond measure. And when he reaches out to save his people from their blindness, that means that others who prefer to stay in their darkness are going to be condemned. Now, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, spoke of this unavoidable division when he talks about this concerning the, um, the division created by the cross of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 18. And again, this is a longer section. I'm only going to read verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Some years ago, a magazine did a feature story about what Americans believe concerning prayer. They surveyed over 100 people. They did that in person and online. They did, you know, both. And those people came from a wide variety of backgrounds. And one of the more fascinating and interesting responses to the question about prayer came from a 24-year-old woman. But I have to say she was no ordinary woman. She actually worked as a prostitute in the state of Nevada. When asked if and how she prayed, this was her reply, and I'm quoting. I don't think about my feelings a lot, she said. Instead, I just sit quietly and I think about God. I meditate because sometimes my words don't come out right, but I know that God can find me, and He knows me just by listening to my thoughts. I ask Him to help me and and to keep me going. And she went on to say, A lot of people think that prostitutes don't have any morals or any religion, but I do. I don't steal. I don't lie. And the way I look at it, she said, I'm not sinning. God's not going to judge me. I don't think God judges anybody, end of quote. My friends, there are few ideas more comforting to humanity than the opinion that God doesn't judge or condemn anybody. But the problem is, that comfortable idea is totally false. On the other hand, we must be careful not to assume another false idea, that all are condemned to live in darkness. I think I've referred to these before, and maybe you've seen some of these really emotional YouTube videos uh, where they have a camera in a doctor's office, and it involves people who have been either not been able to see for a long time or were born blind like the man in the story or, or have not been able to hear anything, and they've had some kind of medical procedure that has given them sight or restored their sight or their hearing. And it's, it's very emotional to see what happens when they can hear or see for the first time. I, I read a story about one of these people, a Canadian woman who'd been blind for 50 years, but she had one of these surgical procedures in an Ontario hospital. And as the doctors were removing the bandages from her eyes, she said, I just can't believe it. And she began weeping when for the first time in her life, she saw a dazzling and beautiful world of form and, and color. At last, she could now see. But the amazing thing about her story was that 20 years, 20 years of her blindness was unnecessary. She was completely unaware that surgical techniques to cure her type of blindness had been developed two decades earlier. And she had continued in her blindness when the cure was readily available. 
My friends, whether you were born blind, so to speak, or whether you're walking around and being unaware, now is the time to reach out. Now is the time to understand that Christ offers deliverance, full-orbed, total salvation, and the redemption of the world. Let us therefore trust in Him alone. Let us pray.